Welcome into Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on today's episode, Adam Burrish and I dive into game one between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round, a game of really three different periods from each side, feeling each other out. What happened in the second period uh, where all almost all the goals are scored and how Chicago can rebound going into game two, play more of a complete effort and come out victorious against the Golden Knights. All that and more coming up on Blackhawks Insider presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. It's showtime in the playoffs. It's win or go home. With Chevy, it's win and go home in a new Chevy car, truck, or SUV. Check out Shop, Click, and Drive at your local Chevy dealer. Shop online 24-7 and take delivery at home. It's simple, it's safe, it's smart. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to locate your Chevy dealer and schedule a test drive. Eye it, try it, buy it, whatever it takes. Your local Chevy dealers, proud sponsors of the Chicago Blackhawks. But overall, we played pretty well. And I think there was a seven-minute stretch of the third where we weren't very good. And, uh, you know, we started cheating. It's a 2-1 game, and we started cheating to try and score. And um, I think we're going to have to be more patient in order to to win this series. Uh, We know they're an excellent team. They're a heavy team. They, they get on the forecheck and they try and hold you down. And I think we handled it pretty well. We had our chances. They had theirs, but uh, we're right there. Welcome back to Blackhawks Insider. Carter Baum, Adam Burrish here for a round one breakdown of game one. Burr, how you doing? It's been a few days. You know, the Blackhawks advanced in four games from the qualifying round. We had, uh, I think, about four days off without a podcast. Everything's still going well up there in, uh, in Wisconsin? Yeah, everything's good. I, you know what? I was sitting there. I got home, um, turned the TV on kind of, you know, a little early, six o'clock, seven o'clock, wanted to, you know, catch a game before the Hawks game. And I see that Blue Jackets lightning game go to like 18 overtimes. I didn't even think we were going to get to watch the Blackhawks game last night if those guys didn't end it. I made a joke that, you know, is this game going to end before the Blackhawks uh, Golden Knights game ends? But I made that and I think after the third overtime. And so as it kept going, I thought, okay, guys, I was like, I was just joking, you know. You don't have to actually keep playing, but what a marathon that was yesterday! The the first game of the day uh, ends up wrapping up about forty five minutes before the last game of the day starts with the Blackhawks. I think they played hockey for six and a half hours in that one. I mean, uh, Burr, have you ever seen or been a part of anything even close to that? Can you even imagine what some of those players were going through? No, in, in college, I played in a triple overtime game, and I thought that was crazy. Um, you know, and this was a different level these guys are playing at than, than we were for sure. So, no, I, I never have. I don't know anybody that has. And it was insane. And I, and I heard some of the guys talking after the game, and you didn't think about it, but they, they ate at their last time they had like a meal where they were somewhere they could sit down and eat. It was like 9 in the morning. Yes. And then all of a sudden now it's, what, 8 o'clock at night in, in Toronto time, and they're just finishing up and scrounging. You know, I know that – I watched the interviews. They were all kind of weird about asking what they ate between periods. Like, why wouldn't they just say what they were eating? They were all like, it was like uh, potassium and we were eating, we were drinking and hydrating and having like, what were you guys eating? And I can tell you, I know at least before the bubble stuff happened, I don't know how they're letting people in or getting food in, but 
there was be boxes of pizza in the locker room. I know Keith Jones, if you're watching the NBC, was talking about that. That that hasn't changed. I don't know why these guys were trying to pretend they're big health nuts. Now I can guarantee you there was pizzas in those locker room. Uh, there was you know anything you can get your hands on. You're eating, but I can guarantee you there was pizzas, maybe some subs in there. Um, but I know there is bananas and fruits and oranges, but. Um, oh, that's the worst part. I, I do know that feeling because you get it in training camps sometimes when you have long days and you're still getting your body back in shape. These guys are still not in tip-top shape. I mean, they sure look like it. It's incredible. But um, you get like a, almost a sick feeling at some points. Blood sugar levels get low. Um, you kind of get uncomfortable. And then you got to get some to eat quick or you got to get some sugars in you. Um, it's an uncomfortable feeling when you're playing and working that long after not having a really big meal since she's nine in the morning. So I, it, it's, it was crazy what those guys were doing. Yeah. Two thirty, I believe Eastern puck drop. So they said they ate about nine o'clock. You don't want a big meal. You don't need a big lunch right before you go out and play, but you said it, they were playing until, uh, almost eight o'clock Eastern. So it was 12 hours with just a little breakfast and, uh, the state secret of potassium and, uh, everything else they were hiding behind the curtain. Uh, yeah. but it was a great lead in a great official start to the Stanley cup playoffs. It was the fourth longest game in NHL history. And, uh, like I said, about 45 minutes after that game ended the last game or what was scheduled to be the last game of the day, uh, got underway. The Blackhawks and the golden Knights game one, uh, Burr, I don't know about you, but I think this game between Chicago and Vegas was really, uh, a game of three different periods. I think in the first one, the teams were kind of feeling each other out. The second one, you saw the offense start to come alive a little bit, uh, especially on Vegas's side. And then the third period, I think uh, Chicago was maybe starting to push, trailing a goal early and kind of got caught maybe looking the other way, sneaking an eye the other way. We talked about uh, in the last podcast just kind of how Vegas is one of those teams that can exploit you all throughout, all throughout the lineup. But uh I guess let's start with the first period here. It seemed it seemed early on that there was just not a lot happening. These two teams really starting to get an understanding of what the other plays like. For Chicago, completely different series than what they saw with Edmonton, which was kind of a run and gun up and down the lineup, you know, full bore. Uh, and then in game one here, you saw really, it seemed like a defensive chess match, just trying to limit options all across the ice for both teams. Yeah, I, you know, Carter, you and I talked, and um, you kind of wondered the teams that had the round robin games really with a, you, you can't say nothing to play for, but you know they didn't they didn't have any worry of being eliminated, so they didn't have to play at that quite that playoff level yet that the Blackhawks did, and some of these teams that had to do the play in rounds. So I thought it was a bit of an advantage for the Hawks short term um, that they were having to play at that high level. Uh, they played it in an elimination game where they got to eliminate a team. The, the stakes are always a little higher than the intensity is always higher. So I, I, I thought that was an advantage going into game one here for the Hawks that they'd be playing at a higher level. And I thought they played the first period a little careful. And, uh, I, I had a feeling Vegas would come out and game ones. They're always that first period. You kind of, you don't want to make a mistake. You you want to you almost play on your heels sometimes because you you want to kind of get into the rhythm and you don't want to make a mistake early. You don't want to put your team down early. Game ones are important, and I would have liked to have seen the Hawks kind of attack more. And in the back of their mind, though, and you, you if you listen to the coaching staff and the players after the game, they did say you know we have to be defensive first. We've got to be above the puck. We can't allow odd man rushes because Vegas does transition as good as anybody in the league. They stretch the neutral zone out. They always fly wingers. They do stretch passes from their defensemen to wingers flying, and it's hard to defend. 
Um, so I'm sure that was in their game plan a little bit that they had to they had to be a bit conservative. I would have liked to have seen that first period them just kind of let it rip and open it up a little bit, knowing that Vegas hadn't played in 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 very intense games yet, like the Hawks had, and they had a good formula against Edmonton, knowing they could open it up a little bit and then just work your tail off to get back and get above the puck. And they did a really good job against a fast Edmonton team. And I thought both teams in the first period they played on their heels and. Um, I, I, is that what you thought too? Is that kind of is that is that how you felt it? Yeah, I think the shots were nine five in favor of Vegas after the opening twenty minutes, and I believe of all of those shots, all but maybe three combined were um, from the from the outside parts of the offensive zone, from distance. Just not a whole lot of high quality scoring chances, and uh, exactly what you said, just kind of feeling each other out, tossing a puck towards the goal here and there, but. Nothing terribly dangerous from either side, and I think uh, that that definitely changed as we went into the second period. Yeah, it, it was careful, and then I, I think you know, and and people in the league know that when you play against the Vegas Golden Knights, they're going to open it up, they're going to stretch, they're going to they're going to play offense, they they attack relentlessly, they play a fast, heavy game, um, and so. If they were gonna, the Hawks were gonna squeak one out and get a lead and and give themselves, you know, a, a ability to dictate the game. It would have to be right away. I thought they'd have to kind of assert themselves right away that we know you're coming, but you know we're gonna dictate this thing. We're gonna dictate the pace, and we can play with speed. We just shut down the fastest player in the world in Connor McDavid. I, some confidence there, I think that they can have, and I think they do have still. Um, but the second period, then I think Vegas is the team that kind of eased into the game. They said, okay, now let's get going here. Now let they played kind of the style they wanted to play. The Hawks did a good job for, for some of that period still defending. And I, I think they've defended uh, much better than people thought. I think they've defended well this playoffs. And they've gotten ahead of the puck. But this is a Knights team that's going to create odd man rushes. They're going to ter- create turnovers. Uh, so you know what's coming. Um, so when you've got chances to counter and you've got chances to take chances and your defensemen jump up in the play, you got to do it. And the second period, I thought the Knights started kind of imposing their will on the Hawks a little bit. Yeah, Shea Theodore scores the series opening goal uh, just about seven minutes into the second period. A a shot from distance through some traffic in front. I don't think Corey Crawford really saw it until it was right on him, beat him on the glove side. A break that you you have seen time and time again, you kind of deal with it. But then two minutes later, William Carrier taps in a, a rebound in the paint, loose rebound off of a low-angle chance from Ryan Reeves. Uh, you know, A little more of a, a gritty goal there, but an interesting set of events because the second goal is scored just over two minutes later. You have a real quick change in the game, but Jeremy Colleton and his coaching staff see something on the video. They think uh, Ryan Reeves has entered the zone offside. His back skate was up before the puck went in um, while his front skate was in the zone. They challenged the play. One, I think, assuming that they thought it was the wrong call, that they could get a goal back. But I'm sure, too, part of it was to also maybe slow things down and, you know, not burn your time out, but take a pseudo timeout. Because on the other side of that, if you have the wrong end of the challenge, you're issued a minor penalty. But the Blackhawks feel pretty confident about their penalty kill at that point. Um, you know, Toronto. I say Toronto, I think the war room's in, in Edmonton for each of the hubs, but um, the war room doesn't agree. They say, you know, it's a good goal. I think on one of the angles, you can kind of see Reeves putting his skate back towards the ice. I don't know if there's definitive evidence to say to overturn it, um, 
to to show that his foot is up. So kind of goal stands there, and Hawks go shorthanded, but right away strike strike shorthanded. Incredible forecheck from Brandon Saad sets up David Camp, and boom, just like that. While you're shorthanded, it's two to one. So not exactly how you wanted to play it out if you're the Blackhawks coaching staff, but I think that kind of transpiration of events really worked out in your favor uh, one way or another. Yeah, that's – I thought it was clearly offsides. I think if you watch the broadcast, everybody um, that was in in the arena at the time and called the game thought it was. Um, I, I still wish the league would do a better job in giving everybody an explanation. Like, you know, like in the NFL, they have their rules expert that comes on and explains why the refs made the decision. I, I wish the NHL would do that because I was, I was confused, and I still am a little bit – I saw Reeves' skate enter the zone before the puck cleared the entire blue line, which to me I thought that was the rule. Uh, I know you and I talked, and, and you had said um, Edzo explained it differently. Um, but for me, it's if a skate enters the zone before the puck does, that's offsides. Um, I know you know Pierre Maguire that was calling the game said it was clearly offsides. He said Mark Andre Fleury on the bench was kind of going, "Oh, geez, this one's coming back." I think you saw the expression on the. And Ryan Reeves and the Golden Knights guys, like, oh, God, they, I think they called this one right. I think the Hawks made a good challenge, and I was shocked it wasn't called that way. Um, I, I just wish we'd kind of get some type of – do you know what I'm saying? Do, do, do you agree with that? I wish we would get, like, a live on on the spot, somebody from that war room or a representative to kind of give us that, that explanation because I think a lot of people were confused how that wasn't offsides. Yeah, and I was actually just checking the NHL website. If, if you go there, you can find – a path to an article um, where there's now a video posted, I think, explaining it. Carter, we haven't we haven't watched savvy, it, but man. Carter, I'm not that tech savvy. I want to. I want to. I'm watching the game. I don't have my laptop out at eleven o'clock at night. Well, that's my point. Is I think you see in other sports, it's more of a real time explanation on the broadcast yeah. or right away. But you know, I I was looking last night. That same article did not have a video with it. They didn't have any sort of explanation with it. Here we are, twelve hours later. Now there's something up. I think uh, I think that that time has to get a lot shorter uh, in a situation so like a situation right? like that. Uh, I we'll have to play back the video after this, but uh, I, I mean, it's it's tough because the rules are there, the conversations there. It's a it's a weird scenario for everyone involved right now. So it's not a perfect world, but I do think that communication has to come out a little sooner um, because yeah, yeah like you said. What did Edzo say between the periods? Because I wasn't able to listen. I didn't. I didn't hear that. But he said it was the correct. Did he say it was the correct correct call? He he didn't say it was the correct call. He but he kind of opened up the door for interpretation, where you can kind of see Ryan Reeves his his skate goes back down. It's not his blade that's on the ice. It's almost uh, okay. the toe of his boot that goes back towards the ice, like he's dragging. Um, dragging that back foot, dragging that toe. You can't see it on the ice, but uh, I think the camera angle is so high that you cannot clearly overturn it. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what the NHL ruled or what the referees saw, but that was at least kind of my interpretation of it, of his skate is kind of going back down towards the ice as the puck clears the blue line into the offensive zone. But, uh, I mean, who's to say? It's kind of it's one of those bang-bang plays where um, it – unless you have the perfect angle. And I think they might have one more camera angle uh, in, in kind of the back room that the broadcast doesn't have. So maybe that was the definitive angle, but um, well, we scored on the shorthanded. So, Hey, but yeah, you scored score right away. David camp with a, a beautiful wrister and uh, just incredible work from Brandon sod on the four check shorthanded uh, to create that chance. We talked about Jonathan Taves 
uh, in game four and kind of his forecheck and individual work to create the game winner with Dominic Kubelik. Uh, Brandon Saad, uh, we know a, a shorthanded beast all season long. He had a pair of shorthanded goals doing the work, uh, the legwork, and, and really teeing up David Camp for for a great opportunity. Yeah, Saad was really good all night, actually. He was he was strong on pucks. He looked fast. Um, him and Taves, I thought, looked great. Uh, I thought on the back end, I thought Connor Murphy had a really good game. I thought he was physical. I thought he was good with the puck. I thought he brought the puck up the ice really well. I thought his outlet passes were sharp and crisp and good. Um, I thought he was, uh, other than Duncan Keith, um, who was awesome again, who's been incredible so far this playoffs, but I thought those two, Connor and, and Dunks on the back end, were had really, really strong games. Uh, and then up front, Saad and Saad and Taze were certainly the two Hawks up front that were great. Um, Camp chips in with a nice goal. Um, I, I think some of the forwards could get going a little more. I think they were – it seemed like they were thinking kind of defensive all the time and, and they were a step behind thinking I can't – and Vegas is a tough team to match up against because you know they transition well and they stretch you out. Um, so I think they had in their mind, geez, I got to get above, or they probably watched the video and said, we can't get beat this way. So they looked a little bit, especially in that second period, they got, they got put on their heels a little bit. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see them kind of, you know, let it rip a little bit. You can still play fast and you can still get above the puck. And I, I think they will. I think this next game, I think the, the staff will kind of say, all right, you know, we played a decent game. And I, I read some of the coaches' comments and they did say that. They said, we, we're confident in Houston. We didn't play a, a bad game, some bounces. Some pucks that went in that 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 you know Corey couldn't see, and a couple that I'm sure he'd say I'd like to have back. So, um, if you're in that dressing room, you can still feel good about uh, about your game, knowing there's a little more to give, and we've got some more offense that we can still that we can still trigger. You mentioned uh, you know the confidence. The scoreline's four to one in the final. I don't know if we've touched off that off the top, but a four one uh, final score. A little more lopsided than I think the actual game showed. I think there were there were stretches where Vegas might have been the better team, especially at creating offensive chances. But uh, a pair of third period goals from Riley Smith um, really, you know, I think Chicago starting to stretch the game the other way, starting maybe uh, as Jeremy Colleton said, cheat up on some opportunities. Um, you kind of get sprung back the other way. You mentioned Vegas is a great team in transition. Riley Smith with a pair of goals. Uh, I think one goes off the shoulder of Corey Crawford and kind of arcs over his back and into the goal behind him. Probably one that he would like to have maybe a second opportunity on. Uh, and then a Riley Smith breakaway where he just kind of beats him with a backhander uh, up under the bar. But it makes it a 4-1 scoreline, but it's not truly indicative of how the game fully went I guess there are still like some opportunities where uh, Chicago was right in the game until kind of about that time uh, in the third period uh, Jeremy Calton called it like a seven minute lapse um, from his team that really kind of was the difference as they were looking for the equalizer there in the third yeah I think Jeremy was right I think he had a good feel on that one um, and I think he explained it well to the media too that there was a couple gaps um, they, they weren't as assertive at, at times, um, but they did make a point to get above the puck. Um, I don't know. You know, and then people are saying Corey Crawford should have had some back. That first Riley Smith shot, should he had it? Yeah, I think Riley missed his shot a little bit and hit Corey in the blocker and kind of surprised him um, that it wasn't, you know, he, he didn't put it in the, in the spot he wanted it and ended up going in. But, I mean, that's a high-level, high-end player coming inside the dots on, you know, it was kind of a quick transition, not quite an odd man rush, but there was a, a mix-up defensively. Guys got switched around. I think it was Connor had to come all the way from the right side to the left side, and you got a high-end player coming down inside the dots, you know, ripping one point blank. Uh, you know, I, 
could should Corey have had it? Yeah, but um, you know that wasn't the reason this team lost. Um, you know, Corey will bounce back. He'll be focused. Anytime you play, goaltenders get this. Uh, this you know, it's almost like that's in, in in football, or you could say even in golf, and like in one-on-one matchups. That's how goaltenders kind of approach these when they're playing against the guy they played with, they shared the net with in Chicago a few months ago. They want to they want to beat that guy, and it gets a little personal for them. Um, and so Corey's gonna. He's going to have a little chip on his shoulder going into this next one, and I expect him to have a real good game. But I thought he was really focused, too. I mean, that first period, halfway through the second, they were really putting some pucks on him. He had some big-time saves. He looked fast. He looked he looked good in the net, I thought, and a couple unlucky bounces for him. You touched on it, uh, something we haven't discussed, but Robin Leonard and goal for the Vegas Golden Knights getting the starting nod. I think um, Anyone who watched the the first three games from Vegas understood that he was probably the better goalie, uh, at least at the time, than than Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, he had a, a strong performance in Game One, but you know, a, a guy who was your backstop for thirty games this season, who played so well in tandem with Corey Crawford. Now you're going head to head. Chicago deals him at the deadline, uh, not really expecting to make the postseason, and, and here we are in the first round, and you're going up against that guy. It's uh, I'm sure I, I think everyone's trying to make that the storyline of, of facing Robin Leonard, but the the mood out of the Blackhawks room is, yeah, he was great when he was here, but you know, we're not focused on him. We, I, I, I guess I want to get your insight, Burr. Is it not wanting to kind of put any bulletin board material out there of, you know, hey, we don't want to basically give this guy a reason to, to have any more against us, or uh, is it truly just kind of respecting your opponent and, and – Kind of approaching the team as a whole because the the I guess the party line for much of the lead up to the series has been yeah he was great we we enjoyed his time here he was a big part of our team but we're focusing on Vegas as a whole right now yeah no that was uh, as a player like that you don't go into a series uh, thinking about one guy or and a goaltender is a big position but you don't go around it, it, they're they're not giving us a line, a line of crap here. They're not, they don't. I and mean, it's just like, yeah, Robin was great. And he was, he was, a heck of, he, he played great for the Hawks. The guys know that he's a good goaltender, but going into a series, you're, it, the media wants to make something of it, but you're not, you don't put a game plan around a goaltender. You just, you know, you have to, if you get an opportunity, you got to pick your spot. You got to hit it. The cliches of you got to get traffic. Um, you got to get guys in front of him. You got to put some heat on him. This all, all the normal cliche stuff is true, but uh, you know what? What they're telling us in the media and what the stuff we're reading, it, it's true. It's you know, okay, great. He was fine. He's a great goaltender, but they got a good team. We got to beat. They got you know five guys in front of him every shift that we got to beat, and we need to play a really good game to beat the Knights. We're not we're not trying to beat Robin Leonard here. Well, if anything, you've gone against him in, in practice for six months of the year. You kind of you don't know maybe his weak spots, but I think he mentioned it after the game. It's almost like uh, reverse psychology because he, I think Leonard's quote was uh, on the power play. He kind of knew what the tendencies were and where they were going, but they all the Blackhawks also knew that he knew where the tendencies were. So you're maybe trying to play a little uh, little mind games there working against him in that opportunity but you mentioned it there's there's five guys in front of him at five on five play that you have to get through first and um he's kind of the last thing you have to worry about you have to worry about getting to him in the first place right and you know i'll be honest at least for me um knowing goalie tendencies you know most players if you can get two shots on net in a game that's you know that's that's pretty good if each player got two shots that'd be you know 38 shots on net 36 shots on net. So 
you know, for me, uh, if I knew the goalie's weak on his glove side, well, I, I may not be able to get a shot off on his high glove. I'm just trying to get pucks on net. So, you know, the whole tendency thing, unless there's probably two players uh, on each team, like Patrick Kane, he can remember that because he might get six shots and he can, he's a, he's can shoot it where he, where it always, where he wants it to go all the time. I wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't my game. I'm just trying to get something on net. Um, so, you know, knowing tendencies for goalies, it, it only matters so much. You still got to play a good team game. You still got to get a lot of pucks at them and some traffic and some deflections and hope to beat them that way too. And if you get a point blank shot, you got to hit your spot. David Camp had a point blank shot coming right down the pipe and he ripped it top shelf. It was a beautiful shot and, and it wasn't so much a scouting report and knowing, you know, where Robin's weak spot was. He just beat him to the spot and made a good hard shot. And, and, and I'm sure that's how the Blackhawks that, – that's why they're giving us that message – as a player, that's that's just kind of true. We got to go out there and play a good hockey game. Well, we've rambled on quite a bit about game Can I ask one you here. One question, Carter, that I've been meaning yeah. to ask. Um, Absolutely, you may know because um, you deal more with our boss, Adam. How did the? I get some people ask me, how did the Blackhawks get select who gets to go into the bubble? I know you got your the players, the coaches, the training staff. Was it fifty two guys, or how many people get to travel? Yep. And um, you know, why didn't you get invited? And how do they pick who gets to go? It's it's a very tight limit um, on on who goes into the bubble. How many people you mentioned the fifty two uh, person limit on the traveling party, and um, you know I'm not important. Uh, that's yeah. that's the I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to be sitting here uh, talking to you. I don't think if uh, if I were inside the bubble right now. No, it the league set out a mandate where each team can send in one what they dubbed content creator, and so uh. each team that's in there has to make a decision of. Uh, who they want to send, you know, I, you know, my focus is, you know, this podcast and writing and more of the website stuff. So a little more of the back end. where if you have one person in there, you got to kind of capture those visuals. So we've actually sent um, someone who can both not only shoot video, but also shoot photos and capture some stuff on his phone for um, our social media team. And um, we, we tried to, it, it's not an easy decision. It's something that uh, Adam, talk to a lot of our department about a lot of people within the organization. And, uh, it's just kind of where we landed of in order to, in order to give the fans the best glimpse at what is going on. Um, we, we thought a, a videographer, a photographer, his name's Jeremy Bloom. He's in there. He's doing a great job for us, just capturing all kinds of stuff with incredible access that we really don't even get during the regular season. Um, because he's truly embedded with the team right now. Um, that's just kind of where we went and I, I think it's working out for us and uh look the rest of us has, have been doing our jobs remotely for for five months so this is uh nothing terribly different uh, than, than that scenario neat yeah neat i was always I, i've been kind of wondering that and people have asked and i, I just I, I don't know i was like, I, actually it's a good question i don't know how they who's allowed to go and how many media people and but i guess now we know there's there's one guy and they're getting all that content that people are seeing yeah and there's 31 players in there so of a, of a 52 person traveling roster that that takes up, I mean, w when you're traveling during the regular season, you usually have about a 50 person traveling party or so, and that includes a couple media people, but you're only taking 23, 24 players. So yep. when you expand that aspect of the roster up to 31, you probably take an extra couple doctors for being in the bubble for a long time. You take um, your normal team security, you take your staff, your coaches, uh, kind of the support staff, the infrastructure that the team actually needs to function. Um, not saying that what we do isn't important, but the day to day, I mean, you know, the trainers, the, yeah. the stick guys, um, you know, those guys that truly make the team run, 
But when you start adding all of that in, I mean, that, that 52 person roster fills up really quick. And, uh, that's kind of what it was for, for each team. And I know even the equipment staff, normally they travel with three equipment guys. I think DJ, um, had to stay back in Chicago. They didn't have room for him. So even on that side of it, there were some some hard decisions that had to be made, and it's not a perfect world for anyone. But uh, I think teams across the league and, and the Blackhawks especially are, are making it work and, and doing a good job at it so far. And uh, it's paid off through two and a half weeks here. Yeah, cool. We'll get you in the bubble next time, but next time we have a world pandemic and uh, <laughs> we're doing this, we'll, we'll send you along with the team. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts going into game two real quick. Um, we, we talked a little bit about it. I think a lot of the conversation coming out of the game, uh, the first game was we were kind of, we were good in our own zone defensively kind of dealing with their forecheck, but we didn't take the game to Vegas enough. We didn't, we didn't put the pressure on them in our offensive zone, their defensive zone. What do you want to see in game two to kind of, uh, we talked about, you know, there's, some of the things were good. There's bits and pieces to learn from, but what do you want to see more of to make a complete game effort and uh, you know have a better performance in game two and hopefully come out with a victory? Yeah, I think the, the message right away will just be to have a, have a good start. Let's try and dictate a little bit. Let's try and put them on their heels a little bit. Let's not ease into the game and, and kind of see how it goes. Let, let's dictate a little bit. Let's get, let's get on our toes. Let's start pushing the pace. Let's transition well. Um, and let's see if we can get a lead and let's see if we can put them on our heels a little bit. You know, they're going to push, you know, they're going to come, but, um, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they transition well too. You know, that's coming, but let's see if we can dictate. I think the start will be really, really important, um, in game two for the Hawks. There you go. You heard it from Burr himself and, uh, real quick point Burr asked, you know, kind of a, not an off the wall question, but something that was on his mind. And we want to know, you know, if you have something on your mind for either one of us during, this whole experience, you can send us an email, insider at blackhawks.com. Send us anything you got. If you want to know uh, what Burr's new life is like being a father in, in a pandemic, if you want to know kind of what we're just sitting at home watching, if you want to know what's happening in the game, insider at blackhawks.com. Um, we, Burr, generally record these the morning after the game, so you think uh, a Thursday evening, Thursday afternoon game, if, if you have something into us by Friday morning, We'll get it on the show. We'll, we'll answer your questions. We want to hear from you. Uh, make this a, a two-way experience and um, really want to put Burr under the microscope. So if you've got some some hard-hitting questions from him or for him, uh, let's, let's hear them. Well, as always, great chatting with you once again, my friend. We will uh, we'll be back on Friday breaking down game two of the first-round series between the Blackhawks and the Golden Knights. Sounds good. Uh, 1-0 Vegas lead after game one, but a best-of-seven series. Still a lot of hockey to be played. We will chat soon, Bird. Take care, my friend. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Blackhawks Insider presented by Chevy Drive Chicago. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. <laughs>